So AJ is the co-founder and CEO of Quotapath. So he's, I'd say AJ is an expert in all things go-to-market and especially uh, sales compensation. So previously before founding Quotapath, he built and run tons of different go-to-market orgs, including sales and lead gen and account management, building teams from zero to 25 million in ARR up to hundred plus headcount organizations. And he was the founder and president of Trendkite. And he helped grow the sales function at Meltwater. So I am very excited to chat with AJ about all things sales compensation. And so thank you for being here. Anything I missed, AJ, in your background? Or I'd love to hear it from your perspective as well. I, no, that was, uh, Alexa, fantastic perspective. I, I'll only make the, the one plug because I'm wearing the hat today and our episode three just came out. But I'm also a commercial rated pilot and I, I fly an airplane around the country. Alexa mentioned that. And episode three came out today with Tom Murdoch, the VP of sales of Momentum, formerly SurveyMonkey. And that's just kind of one of my passion on the side. I also have three daughters which like keeps me busy. And my wife owns a business and yeah, all of the things sales. I, I, I like that you said go to market and thought you were going to say sales compensation, which is <laughs> we're going to dive into that a little bit today, but also every single day, it's a, a brand new story of what's going on in that world. So you nailed it. Thank you, Alexa. Yeah. And yeah, so AJ does this really cool thing where he flies around folks and asks them questions about their life and their job and their role and specific topics. So definitely check it out. Cool. Thanks, Brett. Awesome. So the first question I have for you, AJ, I'm curious, just generally, I'll start with an easier one. What are some trends you've been seeing in sales comp over the past several years, maybe related or not related to product-led? I I think that there's a lot of confusion. I think the trend is that no one is understanding it well. And I, I mean, that's a in the space that we're in, I can give some background to why Quotapath's in this space. You mentioned Trendkite and running the sales org as it was growing, there was definitely different variables. We were an inside sales team based in Austin, Texas. It's fairly straightforward. Our OTEs were on target earnings were about $100,000, I think, at that time. I, I think it's tough to remember, 2015, different era. But very, very straightforward. You could just ask a call. I could call a founder or another VP of sales and say, hey, what are you seeing in Austin? And the last two years, that's all gone out the window for a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons that we know. But it seems like every quarter, companies and teams are trying to look for the best way to incentivize their teams. I, I totally get it and understand. Part of that is market-driven with an influx of capital. Part of, part of that is just the talent space and uh, remote culture and inside sales teams that never existed previously. Uh, and so the, the biggest trend is that it's changing a lot every every quarter, sometimes inside the quarter, some of our, our customers are changing their comp plans in search of the, the best way to incentivize their team to keep people and attract new talent as well. Do you see any specific, are there adoptable like copy and paste models that you see for PLG companies? So what I mean by this is PLG, what I often hear from sales teams is, you know, it's hard to incentivize sales reps in a right way that they're only going after the right deals and leaving the self-serve deals to a funnel that could be uh, managed by marketing and product and sales should only be going after the ones that really deserve their attention. So how do you create incentives and compensation that align with that strategy? Have you seen anything that's worked there? 
Yeah. You know, I actually, I just finished a book that it actually has this in the first like 10 pages of the book. It's uh, called Amp It Up. If you all aren't familiar, the CEO of Snowflake who took them public, oh, yeah. and then he was the CEO of ServiceNow, took them public and a company called Data Domain and took them public. And he is he's really, really fascinating. It's a fantastic book around execution. So many books are written about strategy, but this is a very execution. And he had like three things that when he comes into an org, he does. Uh, first off, the first within the first 10 pages is it's about sales comp and compensation. And I thought that was interesting. So at Snowflake, and I don't know their business, so we use it, but I don't know their business super well. But the when he showed up in 2019, realized it was very, very like B2B, big deal, long contract driven, which is traditional B2B sales comp model. And they like they were clearly were a usage-based model that they need to like completely wipe that out. And so he got rid of that immediately, like first thing he did and, and switched to a new logo and a land expand. And I don't, he doesn't go into detail on the mechanics of it, but I just found that interesting to see it in writing from a CEO. And the other thing he did, which was there, the company was run off of MBOs. And you, if you're not familiar with MBOs, basically like some level of OKR framework that you all have, and you have an objective that you have to hit. He got rid of them completely. So that it just misaligns and everyone starts to work in their silos. And so one of the things that I've seen, and I'll get to the usage-based piece of it, is just companies just realigning to like that one number, that one metric that matters the most. And we do that for our entire companies has a bonus off of, if your sales are not, off of our um, financial target. And I think we can use our own product that way, of course, to, to align to it. But it's just really important that the entire organization is rowing in one motion. Now, what's caused confusion here? is usage-based models. I mean, I've, I've been to a few of these. And of course, like Kyle's, I think was the was one that sticks out in my mind because he talked about the evolution of usage-based models and how that's, and he talks a lot about this, but he, one of the things that like companies are doing, whether it's PLG or usage-based is as they're trying to shift the model, they're creating two silos and it's creating like just mass confusion. And some of it's a pivot and needed, but some of it is just like the the leadership, and I think it starts at the CEO level or the board level. Really needs to make sure that that the the metric that matters is still the metric that matters, and that kind of aligns and water water waterfalls down to the usage or the sales assist or whatever motion mm-hmm. that exists as a business model. It all all starts at that metric at the top. So you your salespeople have similar compensation models to non salespeople. Yeah, well, yes-ish. I mean, we have okay. we have a new business, we have a CS, and we have account management teams all have their own variable for what they're working on, right? But the the entire like net revenue retention number, what we're all working for, that is the number that the entire company has a bonus off of. Wow. Very cool. And I'll and add then, a caveat since uh, my marketing team is here is that marketing team obviously has some level of MQL. Uh, and uh, we count, so PQLs count inside that MQL. Hmm. Leads number. So marketers are also fall, comped based on how many PQLs and MQLs they can generate right. that then convert into opportunities. Are your product, is your product or growth team compensated on PQLs as well? You know, that it was actually just, this is so funny because your, <laughs> I sent this to you. <laughs> My RVP of finance read your, your newsletter. No, Tomas. Yeah, uh, newsletter and his first thing to my co-founder who runs product and to me was like, "Hey, product's gonna need a number soon." So <laughs> yes, because of you, thank you. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, your um, report definitely was helpful there, but they will. We just, I, I, I'll flag, I'll be the first to flag that we're not a traditional PLG. Uh, and yeah, yeah. PLG could be mean any number of things in this world. We're more in like the data dog PLG, which is a sales assist motion. Like we have enterprise level customers that expect enterprise level white glove service. Mm-hmm. And then we have down market that are, are more self onboarding and self upgrade. And then we, mm-hmm. and we've just changed our pricing to actually create a customer journey to map to the, the, the size mm-hmm. of the organization you are as well. Hmm. Just did that last week. And then one more question about your specific model, and then we can switch to other companies' sales compensation trends, um, just because I find it really interesting and you clearly are very aware of best practices in comp. How do you think about the difference in compensation for sales assist versus your sales, traditional sales teams like the AE role? I, th- I mean, I think a lot of that is driven off of the uh, the friction that exists in the the demo to to close process. Previously at Trendkite, we were a one in ten close. Quota path is like three. I won't give the exact number, but we're three x better than that number. And, and a lot of that is just we've created we pulled the barriers of friction out from everything from pricing being transparent on the website to in app Stripe to like user pricing that you can kind of get started and pay as you go. We don't have a, a, comp, a consumption-based, usage-based model in the traditional sense, but it is a little bit like Slack where you're only paying for the number of users that you, you have versus the mm-hmm. per seat licensing, which is more on the Salesforce side. So like the best way to describe it is, of course, this is used pretty frequently, is you're not paying for an empty parking spot. You're paying yeah. for the spot that's there and used. Totally. Makes a lot of sense. And one more thing, topic, and then we can switch to to the group. Going back to Kyle. So Kyle Poyar, for those of you who weren't there, he did a AMA with this group on usage-based pricing and AJ and him got into a really good dialogue and we're like, whoa, we need to get AJ on an AMA of his own. And we were talking a lot about usage-based pricing. And when you have usage-based pricing, it's really hard to create a sales compensation plan that aligns with usage-based pricing because it's so much less predictable. I'm curious if someone wants to design a sales compensation plan around usage-based pricing, where should they start? Yeah, I, I'm advising a company that's in the cloud computing space. Think of it as like an Amazon, except for GPU cloud, and they have, I don't know, they have 500,000 users, and they're it's all usage. They're billing, they're billing machines run for two weeks at a time. They have no predictability and forecasting, and they're like below the 10 million ARR number, so it's it's even tougher. Uh, because it just it's just really really tough. So we've talked a lot about this, and what we've actually landed on is on their customer success team um, and expansion. So we've worked really hard to to realize that they don't they don't need salespeople in the traditional sense, but they need the customer support and all of the different triggers, right? So something that Pocus would would be helpful for is setting up of like this is an opportunity that could expand out. Their customer success team then takes that. And they measure off of that expansion of those accounts. And that's the variable that they use in their comp plans. And I think that that's probably the best place to start because if you try to do it off of like the, the traditional new business of like booking or, you know, mm-hmm. ARR, it doesn't work in an MRR world. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And we know that, but there are definitely positions and roles within an organization where it does work. And I think CS or AM or however you mm-hmm. say it, it's like that actually would be my, my focus area up front, especially if you have users in and out and they, they churn constantly yeah. and you just need to figure out what those signals are to, to expand out accounts. Got it. So if we're at a usage-based 
pricing company. We're a sales rep there. And we, or CSM, like the one you advise. I think I'm thinking of the one that you advise. And they have tons of self-serve users trying to better understand how they're engaging with the product to inform, will they spend more and helping them on that journey. If that CSM is able to then, for some reason, they increase usage, thus there's an increase in MRR for the company. Is that CSM then compensated based on that? Or no, because it's not a direct, because the CSM isn't helping, isn't necessarily selling. They're not aggressively saying buy more. Instead, they're saying, let me help you get more value. In this case, correct, but uh, they are they are compensated on it, and okay. it's it's a different because the VP of Sales I've worked with him before, and he's in a traditional sales led motion, so it's a little bit new for him. And we're kind of on this journey. I mean, the reason I'm advising is I'm interested in how he's going through this as well. Now, I'll go back and point to two things. One, every company is different, and if you already have a sales go to market, it's like okay, are we getting rid of it? That's always the the, the choice of like, oh shit. And then you see companies that flip all the way. They go hard to PLG and just get rid of their entire mm-hmm. sales team. And that happens. And that can be a great thing. But if you have a, a sales-led team, I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning, which is well, what is that metric that matters? Is there an opportunity mm-hmm. where it's more of a team-based compensation? And you, especially if you're just starting and you're just figuring this out, can you, can you align the entire company's goals to the team and each individual has some level of it and you do all the CAC analysis and what makes the most sense. And then you kind of can look at all of the behaviors and the mindset that the reps are going through to see if they're influencing uh, any of the metrics that you're doing. Once you do that, then you can start to like go, go through and say, okay, here's the, here's the one trigger, the one activity that the sales has an absolute influence on. Maybe it involves this ICP, this type of user, this persona, this type of company, and that could be cold outreach, that could be existing, however that looks. But then you actually say, okay, that's where we're going to put our dollars. And you might start mm-hmm. with a, a spiff. You might start with like, a, they have a traditional sales model, but you want to try it out and you're like, need to get buy-in from the CRO or you need to buy-in from RevOps or finance or the CEO or whomever. And so you're like, okay, this is, this is my time to just, I'm going to raise my hand and just say like, hey, Alexa, can I try this thing? We don't know if this thing's going to work, but I want to comp $50 for each new logo that each rep brings in mm-hmm. that is above uh, 200 people. I, I don't know. I'm just making that up. So you kind of just figure that out and work work with the, the decision makers and the powers to be that, that you think that this is the right way. Got it. So what you're saying is if you're adopting sales compensation at a usage-based pricing company, first step is to align on that high-level company-wide metric. What is most important to us? Is it retention? Is it expansion? Is it uh, new business? And then from there, have that trickle down into what the sale, how the sales rep should be compensated. And then think of that metric where it's going to go, okay, what is still not compensation level? So if they're touching an account with less than 200 people in headcount, maybe you don't get compensated on that. But if it's more than 200 people and you're able to uh, get more value to the customer, therefore they're spending more than the sales rep can get compensated. On. Yeah. I mean, that I, that's how I would think about it is like, let's you win, we all win or we win, you, you win. And then I can start to, to play with the numbers down at the bottom and try to like match, make those come together. So that there's like a, you know, optimum spot for both the company and for the rep as well. I love that. How do you make it both a win-win for the company, the rep, and the sale and the, yeah. the customer? 
And I mean, and that's like, that's an obvious thing to think about. It's like, oh, well, let's do the quota to OT ratio or the, the sales to earnings ratio, or let's do an SDR conversion funnel. Let's like create all of those gamification parts of a comp plan. But for usage-based models, it's just like, that's not, it's, it's we're still trying to figure out what this even looks mm-hmm. like. And, and so that's why I would, if you're, if you're going to work in the, in the traditional sales world, then, then fine, but make the company North star that metric and then work in just the small margins to, to slowly, but surely figure out what that looks like for your company. Yeah. And I'm curious. So I keep saying one more question, but this will actually yeah. be my last question. So I heard you say spiffs. I'm curious if you can think of any creative ways beyond just the traditional sales compensation, like spiffs or anything else that you've seen companies implement at product-led growth companies to better align compensation with incentives? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I think this extends beyond, uh, beyond PLG companies. And I, I think SPIFs in general are a good way to introduce experiences. And I'll give an example for our company. So I already mentioned value props. I had a, a rep reach out to me about four months ago and said, hey, AJ, like I went down to uh, Austin in my plane. And he's like, hey, how can I go flying with you? And I said, Hector, if you hit 150%, sure, let's go, let's go on a flight. <laughs> and so the very like within five minutes, he inside quota path, you can put goals. So he put uh, fly with AJ and had a little flying emoji next to next to it. And then you can forecast out. So he had this goal and he said he screenshot it. every single week. He would send me the screenshot with flying with AJ, flying with AJ, flying with AJ. He had 178% last quarter. So I owe him a trip. And so he's going to be like my next guest on, on value props, which I actually love because it's not just about sales leaders or founders or investors, then it's about ICs as well. So I, I think like your question, even though I might not have directly answered around PLG, I would say like outside of money, like that's up to the leader's job to figure out what's motivating them from a career path standpoint, from an experience standpoint. And something that we, we continually miss on the last two years, we talk about human connection. We talk about missing human connection, but we don't like, we don't execute off of that. We just have it as a, as a strategy. So actually doing it is, is something that I find um, very interesting and I've seen work really well. I love that story. George does too. It's a great story. <laughs> Sandy, your question actually aligns well with what Adrian just chatted about. If you want to ask it. Yeah, that's actually similar to what I was wondering about, like, what are the other ways to incentivize the right behaviors? And I was thinking more kind of like, you know, in PLG, we're taught to focus on value. So it's not always strictly about trying to get the sale or trying to get the upsell or the expansion. So like, how do you incentivize those behaviors when, you know, they might be compensated on the MRR, but how do you get them to like, you know, create feedback loops and like provide that value to the customer? I mean, I love that question because you're absolutely right. PLG on the end user delight. How do you like take those moments? How do you discover them? And then how do you amplify them? And we have a channel at Quotapath called Good Vibes that really is just about our sales team, like talking about those moments in time where we see a human behavior. I can remember even a story a couple of years ago where a CS rep, was was looking through an account and found one of uh, found a, a customer. The rep had actually put by uh, pay off my grandfather's mortgage, and it was like that's a really cool story. 
And so these aha moments that exist inside our app, we try to bring them to the forefront. So it's not necessarily we're monetizing or I'm giving them a compensation plan that ultimately aligns to that. But I think it's a it's it's ingrained in the fabric of the company. PLG, as you all know, exists, has to come from the top down. It just kind of has to exist. And there's all different flavors of PLG. We all know this. But that that has to kind of live and breathe in the fabric of the organization. I'll bring up the book one more time because I think there's a great analogy in this and something that I am going to carry forward. It's about drivers and passengers. And at your company, of course, it's a very obvious analogy. You want drivers and not passengers. Passengers are great people. Usually they're just kind of carried from the momentum and they're 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 gonna they're gonna be hard workers with inside the organization, and we all have passengers at our company that we really like. They're great culture fits, but they're not gonna be the ones to speak up. They're not gonna be the ones to like take on or lead or do anything in, that's that's going to upset the momentum of the organization. And what I think really makes like PLG companies hum is if you have a company full of drivers that take those aha moments and bring them to the forefront of the organization and say like, check out this, check out this, check out this of how this is using it. That's kind of what creates this like loop feedback loop that gets back to the product team, that gets back to the engineering team. And you just kind of see this beautiful thing. Now, sales teams can upset that a lot. And we we tackle wrestle with this with ourselves because we have a strong innovation piece that's that's I'll call it product-led, but it's really community-led that we're going after. And then we have our sales team that goes back and said, AJ, this customer needs multi-currency selection, conversion with plan verification times two over a three-month and three-and-a-half-month quarter, and we don't do that. And like, well, okay, so that I need this, 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 that you constantly hear from sales teams is at odds with what product-led growth is at the heart. And so like, that's the biggest challenge with having a sales assist motion is just how do you balance all of the departments and make them equal, focus around the end user and the customer and still do it. So it's not it goes way beyond the, the compensation plan. So Sandy, I, I don't know if I like zoomed out from your question, but it's, it's the thing that I'm going through right now as a CEO. So I can say this at the heart of it is that we have a world-class go-to-market, our VP of sales and CS, Caroline is phenomenal. World-class VP of marketing carries on this call. We have a, a we have a world-class engineering and product team, but like all of them in harmony is my problem and my challenge. <laughs> so that's what I, I work through every single day in a good way. I love my, I love working with my people. I love that because it, it is so much about culture. I think is what you're describing is, is setting up that culture and it has to be kind of like, in the DNA of everybody in the team in order for it to work. Because if you try and just layer some incentives around, let's get customers to value, but that's not ingrained in everything else that they do, then it's probably not going to work. Well, it's hard because most people in the company have never worked for a PLG company. They just they just didn't exist. Or you worked mm-hmm. for one of the unicorns and you joined Slack at uh, 1,500 employees and you're like, you saw it but you didn't really see it. So like, it's really, really challenging to read a book on it yeah. and content, but then it's a totally different thing to execute and do it in practice because there will be every single day will be a, a new situation that's thrown at you. You're like, where's the manual on this? How do I do this? And you just kind of have to like, well, make it up or you come to an AMA and you're like, how do I do this? Totally. 
I have a question, AJ Jorge here uh, from Jorge, Reprise. Hello. I've been reading a lot on LinkedIn and hearing a lot uh, about should SDRs and BDRs report to marketing or sales teams? And I was just wondering if you think that the compensation plan has to vary depending on, on, on that. I, I laugh, Jorge, because Graham <laughs> is my chief of staff. He's here, but Graham and I have worked together six years and he was sales hire number two or three, depending on who you're asking. He'll say two, I'll say three. And Grant became our, our first SDR leader and then our ultimately our director of SDR. And I was the sales leader. And he first, he worked for me in the sales and then SDR reported to me. And then we had a new C- CMO come in and our CEO felt really, for whatever reason, that, that SDRs, MDR, we call them MDRs, could not work for a sales leader. That I was going to be like, make the SDRs go get coffee or, or whatever. I don't even know what the, but I didn't care. The thing that I ultimately realized is it's whomever is leaning in to make it the most successful uh, role in organization. SDR is by far the hardest role in the organization. I I will be the very first to say I I've I've never been an SDR by role, but I can call myself the best SDR at Quotapath. We don't have SDRs, so I'm going to call it self. And I know I know how hard that role is, but I also know how important it is to have the support and resources and the person guiding that team. And so the, the, the way it will do the best job or the best like person for that job doesn't matter title or whatever is the one that's willing to put in the work to make it successful. doesn't matter if it's marketing product sales, don't care. It could be the CEO for all I care, but it needs to live in a part of the organization where the leader is going to make sure they're well taken care of. Do you feel like that's the case at your organization right now? I think right now it depends. Like, BDRs report to a sales organization. And I think like if they were to report to marketing, it, they it would only make sense to reorganize how their their compensation structure. I, I agree with that. I we we had that happen. And then you have inbound and outbound, and you have all the traditional things. If you if it's happening in your org or any of your orgs and or you feel strongly about it, I'll go back to the analogy of drivers versus passengers. Speak up. It's okay to be vocal about these things. It's okay to have an opinion. And you don't always have to have rooted in like a lot of data. You can have anecdotes. You can have feelings about it. It's okay to trust your gut. I think your the, the your direct line manager would appreciate it. But I also think that post that conversation, you should be able to talk to whomever you want into the org. At Quotapath, we don't have a chain of command. If someone on Carrie's team needs to talk to someone on Cole, my co-founder's team on product, they're going to talk to each other directly. That, that, that open line of communication has to happen. I'm not going to say that we're without our, our faults or our challenges. We have them on a weekly basis, but we have to learn from those failures and get better. And it's so important to make sure that you're just able to talk to whomever, whenever you need to in the org to get a decision made. So if an SDR, oh, go ahead, Jorge. No, I was just going to say thanks to AJ. Yeah, I want to, I like, I really align with your perspective of, that the SDR should report to whoever's most passionate about building the team and making them successful and giving them the resources. I'm curious though, I would assume that SDR's compensation and incentives look really different if it's under marketing or sales or even one day under product. To me, it's like, is it an SQL, MQL or PQL that they're driving and compensated on? We, we literally just had a, uh, a webinar a few months ago that I, I was presenting on, on like compensation for SDRs. And ultimately, like the the TLDR on it is 
that you want to have uh, a mix of qualified opportunities with closed one percentage of revenue. It's like, that's the easy, the easiest answer is that it's going to be a mix of whatever you call sales accepted opportunities, uh, PQL, I don't, whatever you're calling that, that qualified opportunity needs to, of course, be a part of it. And then some level of close, small percentage of close one percent uh, should be a part of it as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So it's the kind of the the calculations you're doing are the same. It just depends on what source the leads are coming from. And whatever, in whatever you define it as, and 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 go, I go I'll always go back and loop back to that metric that matters, and the metrics that surround it will will inform you of what that should look like. Any other questions for AJ from the group? I guess. One, I want to perhaps get your opinion on a discussion we've been having here internally, which is, does the organization that focus on PLG sit within, within marketing, sales, re- revenue, product, or like, or is it something that maybe you might want to build out an independent team and just you know, for a little more context, like I know when sales development was coming out a couple of years ago, you know, the, the, there was always that discussion, sales, marketing, is it a BDR, MBR, et cetera, et cetera. And some organizations ended up breaking it out. Like I think sales loft Kyle Porter and them, they, I don't know if they're still doing it, but at one point they, they were talking about, you know, actually having a VP of sales development that rolled up to the CEO directly. Any, any thoughts around that? And you're talking about PLG specifically. Yeah. yeah. Like a- it's funny that you, you say this because I actually, your CEO, Brian lives in Philadelphia. I, I like take walks with him every few months. Brian and I know each other very, very well. I was a big, big Insight Squared user back in the day, which he was a CTO of. So I, I actually think this is funny. I think it's a very similar feeling to what you're des- describing. I think it's like how important with sales development at, at sales off, that's obviously that's a super important department for, for quota path. It's revenue ops. Now, our director of revenue ops, Ryan Milligan currently reports to Caroline, but our VP of sales, but there was a lot of discussion of should that person report to me, we need to make sure it's from a strategy standpoint that that is like, that is a thought leadership piece of it. It's a balance because you want that person to come in and execute off of a million different things, but you also want them to be under the spotlight. Mm. So ultimately, I think what happens, and I don't know this for reprise directly, so I'm not, this isn't reprise, but I think if you have a strong enough director or VP, depending on how your organization is organized and they're reporting to someone else, the goal would be able to get them into a spot where they are reporting to the CEO and they are, they are kind of like front center. I think HubSpot, Allison Elworthy, she she was she reported to the CEO, VP of Revenue Operations at HubSpot, and that was and last year Operations Hub had its big launch, and that was like something that they she did a lot of tours and talking and I mean she had been there ten years conversations, and I think that that was something that stuck out to me is that okay a lot of it is about evangelizing the category. Does PLG still need to be evangelized? Yes, because it's still it's clearly it does because. We're, we're having this conversation and we're clearly working on definitions and we're all working on different definitions. So I think that there is some merit and again, not saying this about reprise that that person should stand alone and should be on its own. Mm-hmm. And I would advocate for it. If you find a strong enough leader that's been able to execute and that from a career standpoint, wants to kind of create their own trailblaze, their own department, 
then yes, you should. I'm not, I'm not going to say Quotapath won't have that. We'll have a standalone ops or rev ops at some point, but we probably, I, I can't imagine unless something radically changes with our go-to-market that we have a standalone PLG. If anything, that will exist under product. I agree. I also think that PLG is different than who owns PLS. Like for me, PLG, when I hear it, it's that's like a growth product marketing initiative. How do you get the flywheel going? How do you think you get people signing up and then sales, although they have to be connected and talking to each other and very aligned, the product-led sales org is then how do you own phishing from PQLs to strengthen and accelerate your revenue? That's- I 100% agree with that. And I love that. That strengthening of revenue is, is, is a great term. It's good. good that resonates really well. And I, I, Alex, I'd ask you this. What is the metric that you measure? I have one in my mind, but what would you say is the strengthening of revenue? What's that metric look like? Yeah, we've seen through our, who we're working with, it all goes down to, you know, how much quicker can you convert leads with a sales rep that are good, valuable leads? So PQL, if you were to leave a PQL in the self-serve engine, and then if you were to also do an A-B test and add a sales rep to that motion, how much quicker does that person get value and then convert the customer? If it's like one day quicker, probably not worth an expensive sales rep wasting their time. But if you're going to save six months and increase time to value by six months, that is a really valuable metric. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way. I love that. Yeah. I'd also love if maybe when we wrap up, you can tell us a little bit about Quotapath and where we can we can find you if people have questions. Oh, sure, of course. So Quotapath, we I mean we're in a space that wasn't so hot four years ago, and and like the product led sales space has has become a space in commission tracking. There was one company exactly that really just was around for for years and worked with big enterprises. At my previous company, saw that there was a huge opportunity for scaling and growing organizations to for sales teams specifically to, to understand their comp in real time through forecasting. And also saw, because I was a traditional sales leader and I've spent my career in sales, realized that retention and end user was just such a paramount focus for product. It was like, it was such an aha moment when I left and thought about what I was going to do differently and thought about different business models and said, oh, the bottom up approach, the bottom-up freemium approach seems to be interesting enough. Let me explore that and marinate that with uh, marinate that with, uh, with commission tracking and that as the problem that we were going to solve. So launched in 2018, spent a year and a half, two years on, on different personas and different products. We basically pool all of the data from all the CRM, Salesforce, HubSpot, Close, and you know accounting software like SaaS Optics, other ERPs out there as well, kind of pool all that data forward to allow sales, sales managers, VP of sales, sales ops, rev ops, finance, accounting, controllers, all to really see the commission and the revenue across that like that spinal cord. And then you can pay out really easily. We launched at the end of 2020 and the paid product had about 15 customers going into 2020. We are currently, I'm going to say a number and Carrie's just going to shake her head around 300 ish. I mean, it's, we're, we're, there's lots and lots of customers coming in every day. So we've grown considerably, but what we've realized is that everyone's kind of looking for the question that we're having. What does our compensation need to look like? So we're building an engine. I won't, won't go into too much detail about that. We're going building an engine to help companies really understand. doesn't matter if you're usage-based consumption, PLS, PLG, 
MDR, BDR, SDR, doesn't matter. Whatever type of compensation plan that you're looking for, solutions engineer, enterprise, will have it for you. And we'll tell you the best type of comp plan that you should use. But today we help over 10,000 sales reps track their commission. So you know, if your company's on a spreadsheet today, which it probably is, we're just kind of an easy in uh, opportunity or uh, platform to work with companies that are, are scaling between 10 and 500 sales reps. Love it. That's awesome. Thank you so much, AJ. This was incredible. Awesome. I love learning about compensation. Go to market broadly, your thoughts on it internally at your own company, as well as others that you've advised and seen. And this was great. I I really appreciate it. And I, I hope one day to fly with you and talk about all things. <laughs> you got to make it back to Philly, Alexa. You have to come back to Philadelphia for that to happen. Yeah. The plane doesn't quite have the range for the West Coast yet. <laughs> we'll do it next time in Philly. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for everyone for your input. And I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye,